13, which talks about Jesus being the only begotten Son of God and also being our Lord. At the end of our passage in John 20, we'll see Thomas confess these very things, that Jesus is both God and Lord. So John chapter 20, starting at verse 11 to verse 31. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the, marks, uh, the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's respond by singing, Speak, O Lord, in preparation for the preaching of God's word.
I'll read from the Catechism, the summary of a summary of God's Word. I'll read from Lord's Day 13. And the first question and answer, which corresponds with the second point of the sermon, is this. Why is he called God's only begotten Son, since we also are children of God? Because Christ alone is the eternal, natural Son of God. We, however, are children of God by adoption, through grace, for Christ's sake. And then the next question, which corresponds to our first point of this sermon. Why do you call him our Lord? Because he has ransomed us, body and soul, from all our sins, not with silver or gold, but with his precious blood, and has freed us from all the power of the devil to make us his own possession. Dear congregation, there is one question, one question that everyone needs to answer and will have to answer. And this question is, who is Jesus Christ? That's the question Jesus asked the the disciples in Matthew 16. Jesus asked them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And then he goes on to ask them, but who do you say I am? And this is the question that Jesus asks you today. Ask your family. He asks your friends. He asks your colleagues. We will all have to answer Jesus. Answer this most vital question. Who is Jesus Christ? Now, many will say that Jesus is a cool hippie, a soft socialist, peace, love, unity, respect, non-judgmental. Others will say Jesus never existed. Others say that he was delusional. Jehovah's Witnesses and other groups will say he is one of God's first created beings. The Muslims I talked to on the airplane flying here said that they also believed in Jesus. And another Muslim I talked to on the streets of Surrey this past summer, they told me that Jesus was a prophet that they believed in. However, he was a prophet that never suffered and died on the cross. Another man I talked to, a Hindu, said that Jesus was a wise teacher. So who exactly is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, in our Bible reading, we read about several people who knew Jesus personally, face-to-face, who grew up and talked with him. They knew him intimately. And one of them was Thomas. And Thomas confesses. He says, Jesus is my Lord and my God. And it's in this passage that God is calling you as well to believe and confess this good news that Jesus is your Lord. He is your God. And so let's look at the first part of Thomas's confession that Jesus is Lord. Well, what is a Lord? It's a word that's often applied to God throughout Scripture. But in Scripture, Lord is also applied to 
other humans, other people as well. One person says it this way, to be Lord is to have a right over something or a person. A king is Lord over a kingdom. A military officer is Lord over a platoon. An owner has a right. He is Lord over his object that he owns, something he just purchased. And God is Lord because he is the right to rule over all things as their creator. Now, the disciples, they often called Jesus Lord. As we read that text, you see Mary begins that way. And they called him Lord because they followed him. He was their leader. They would do as he commanded because they knew he was sent by God to lead them. He was the Messiah who would lead the people of Israel. And in the catechism, we confessed our faith together in question and answer 34 saying, why do you call him our Lord? We call him Lord because he has ransomed us, body and soul, from all our sins, not with silver or gold, but with his precious blood. And he has freed us from all the power of the devil to make us his own possession. We believe that Jesus is our Lord for two reasons. The first is that Jesus is Lord because he has ransomed us from sin with his precious blood. Our bodies and souls were spiritually in debtor's prison because of our sins. We have sinned against God, the creator of all, and this sin needed to be, needed to be punished because the Lord is just. And so there you and I were. We're in debtor's prison, trapped in our sin, continually producing more sin, more and more debt, making the reality, the, the, the hope of ever getting out more and more dim. But the Lord upholds His justice and His mercy. Through His justice, He shows Himself to be merciful, and through His mercy, He shows Himself to be just. For the one who is Lord of all creation became Lord over us also by right of ransom. Jesus became our Lord in this special way by paying our ransom, our debt, the infinite debt that we had racked up by our sins. But Jesus didn't do that by paying that debt off with some thing. He didn't get you out of prison with some immaterial object like silver or gold or money. It's not like he was an impersonal billionaire who pays off a stranger's bail, just throws his money around casually. It's not like, if you, you may have read about this happening in the news in the past, it's not like various political movements are doing. These political movements have a GoFundMe page to, to bail out certain people out of prison. No, instead of chipping in a few bucks from heaven to help us out, Jesus Christ came down to us. He came down to the prison and he gives himself up. He takes the title of prisoner. He takes the punishment of a prisoner. Jesus' blood, which had never sinned, his blood meaning his life, 
was poured out for you, for you. Your blood was dark with evil. But Jesus shows his justice by making sure that that debt is paid, that the prison sentence was served, that the life which had sinned would die. But Jesus shows his mercy by having, by loving wicked sinners like us. He has mercy by paying the ransom himself. And because of this, we confess him to be our Lord because of what he has done for us. And the second reason Jesus is our Lord is because he has freed us from all the power of the devil to make us his own, his own possession. We were all in bondage to the devil. And as Hebrews 12, 2 verse 14 says, the devil has the power of what? The power of death. He made death our ball and chain. Death was wrapped around your ankle. Wherever you went, wherever you would go, it would follow you. You couldn't escape it. You see, the devil is like the inmate who ruled the prison. He is the worst, the most evil inmate in debtor's prison, and he doesn't want anyone to escape. And so he chains everyone else in prison to their cell by the power of death. He wants to drag everyone else down with him. He wants to make them rot in prison. And this is why in our text, Thomas exclaims, my Lord. As he realizes Jesus has risen from the dead, that death has no power over him, that Jesus has taken off that ball and chain, has overcome it. He exclaims, my Lord. Because before Thomas was living in that fear of death, oppressed by the power of death. Because death seemed to have swallowed up the Messiah. Death seemed to have destroyed his Lord, Jesus. The one Thomas had put all his hope in. But after those dark days, he finally sees Jesus, that he has done the impossible. Jesus shed his blood, he suffered, he died, but he did not stay dead. He rose from the grave. He defeated the power of death. He broke that chain that, that held on to Thomas's ankle. And so when he sees Jesus, he believes that Christ Jesus is his Lord, the Lord who had freed him. Thomas confesses that he is now the possession of Jesus Christ. He owes him his life. And indeed, our brother Thomas would give his life for the Lord. He would serve until his own bodily death, which led him to eternal life. Perhaps, children, you are familiar with C.S. Lewis's story the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. The lion is Aslan, and he's the good king, and he has come to back to save the kingdom from the bad witch. 
And then there's this certain boy named Edmund. And Edmund, he betrays Aslan the lion, and he joins the witch in her evil. And according to the deep magic of this world, all traitors like Edmund belong to the witch until their death. She is their lord forever, you could say. But there is one way that Edmund can be freed from the lordship of the witch. And so the good lion, he exchanges himself for Edmund. He gives himself up to the, into the hands of the witch to die. And in exchange, Edmund can go free back to his siblings. And if you follow along the rest of the story, you'll know that Edmund then becomes the most loyal, the most faithful follower of Aslan, even when others fall away in disbelief. And this is a picture of what Jesus did for the disciple Thomas, for doubting Thomas. And Thomas, like Edmund, after seeing that Christ died and rose to save him from the devil's power, Thomas goes on to be one of the most faithful followers of Christ. Church tradition has it that Thomas would travel all the way to India to share the gospel. Like Edmund, he would be faithful to the end. And so Jesus Christ came to free you as well. He exchanged places with you, gave his life for your life, ransomed your body, your soul, with his own precious blood. He freed you from the power of the devil, and so he is your new Lord. In Lord's Day 1, we confess what Scripture says. We confess that Jesus has set me free from all the power of the devil to, and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. You are called to serve your Lord. So look to him for your orders. Give him your love and obedience. Live for your Lord, Jesus Christ. Now let's look at the second confession of Thomas. Thomas says, Jesus is my God. This is our second belief, that Jesus is our God. We say in the Nicene Creed that we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages, God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made of one substance with the Father. And we also read earlier in the Catechism that Christ alone is the eternal, natural Son of God. We, however, are children by adoption. Well, what do we mean by this? What does Scripture mean that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, Christ is the Son of God by nature, by virtue of who He is. He is God Himself. We are not children of God by nature like Christ, but rather we are children of God by grace. And we read this in John 20, verse 17. 
you look there, chapter 20, verse 17, Jesus says to Mary, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus calls God his Father and his God. And yet he is our Father and God as well. So how does this make sense? How can Christians be Trinitarian if this is what the Bible and God says? Well, notice that Jesus didn't just say our Father and our God. He said, my Father and your Father. A crucial distinction is being made when he, when he says, he doesn't just say uh, our Father but he adds a distinction, my father as well. When Jesus calls God his father, he is making himself equal with God. He is saying he is God. And we read about this in Matthew 5, verse 18. There, Scripture says, for this reason the Jews tried all the harder to kill them. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father making himself equal with God. This is the reason why they were trying to kill Jesus. This is the reason why Jesus was killed, because he claimed God as his father and thereby was claiming to be God. It's not that people had never been called, never have never called God their father before. You know, we all do as well. But when we call God our Father, we mean something entirely different. We mean that we are God's children by adoption, not by nature. We do not claim an equality with God like Jesus was doing. And we can also look to Thomas's confession to understand how the Bible shows Jesus is God. Upon seeing the miracle of the resurrection, he names Jesus as it were. He names him saying, my Lord and my God. Earlier, Jesus says, I go to your Father and to your God. And then Thomas, right after that, he says, my God. About Jesus. Isn't Thomas then blaspheming by calling a man like Jesus God? If so, Jesus would surely have said to Thomas, get behind me, Satan as he had done to Peter. But instead of rebuking Thomas, Jesus confirms and assures Thomas's confession. He says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus calls the Father his God. But soon after, he also affirms Thomas's own words that, yes, I am also God. That's an incredible claim coming from a man standing in the flesh before you. C.S. Lewis had this famous trilemma, as he called it. He says that if we listen to what Jesus actually says about himself, that he is God, we can only come to three different conclusions. Either Jesus is a lunatic who thought he was God, but was just crazy, or he's a liar 
who only says he was God for one reason or another, or he is Lord. He is truly God. That's a helpful one to remember when talking with others about Jesus Christ, about this one great question we need to answer about who Jesus is. We can share what Jesus said about himself, that he is God, and then explain that there are only three conclusions anyone can come to. There's only three answers, the three L's. He's either a lunatic, a liar, or he is truly the Lord of Lords. And this is helpful since most people want to keep Jesus as some kind of good prophet, a good teacher, or a good guide. This helps us to cut to the chase and bring people to to a decision about who Jesus actually is, that he actually is divine, the one eternal creator. In John 1 verse 12, God says, But to all who did receive him, who received them as God, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Because Thomas confessed Jesus as Lord and God, he had the right to be called the child of God. All who, like Thomas, put their trust in Jesus to save them from their sins are made children of God, and they can turn to the Lord as their loving and caring Father because they have been adopted. They have been brought into the family of God. By faith, Jesus becomes our brother. But sometimes when children are adopted, they can struggle with their identity. Children of God, those adopted into the family of God, also can have spiritual struggles over their identity as well. Believers can struggle. Am I really part of God's family? Does God really love me like a father? Am I really part of the Christian church? We can struggle with assurances about these things. And this is where the teaching about Jesus as the Son of God is meant to comfort you, dear Christian. Jesus says in John 16, The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. If you believe in the Son, that he was sent from the Father, then you have a sure promise that the Father himself loves you. You belong to the family of God. Jesus tells Mary, go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father, and here's the assurance, and to your Father. He comforts them. He gives them a reassuring gospel message through the voice of Mary. Jesus tells us all clearly, my Father is now your Father. These are the parting words of Jesus Christ that reshapes our entire identity. That by being disciples of the Son of God, we have God as our Father. Brothers and sisters, find your identity in the family of God, your new family. 
By faith, our new identity is with God. Our new family relationships define who we really are. We are sons and daughters of our faithful Father in heaven. We are brothers and sisters of our elder brother, Jesus Christ. This is our new, our secure identity. Jesus says to you, my Father is your Father. Find assurance, find security in those words. So who do you say Jesus really is? Jesus showed that he is the Lord of all believers by saving them from their sins and by saving them from Satan through his own death and resurrection. And by his words, Jesus has clearly revealed to the whole world that he is the eternal God. And in response, Thomas confessed Jesus to be my Lord and my God. So who do you say Jesus really is? Jesus calls you to confess with Thomas in your heart that Jesus is not just anyone's Lord. He's not just anyone's God. But he is your Lord, your God, the one who has given his life in order to save you and make you his own. He is also God, the Son of the Father, who has brought you into the family of God where you can have true comfort, a new identity, and love. So put your trust in the parting words of Jesus Christ, that my Father is your Father. Amen. Please stand if you are able and let's sing in response hymn 72 verses 1 to 5.
Let's now confess our faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Lord, singing hymn one. come before our God in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we come before you and we thank you that you are our Lord and God. We thank you that you do not leave us far off, but that you have made us your own. That like Thomas, you have revealed to us salvation in Jesus Christ. And God, we, we so long to, as we sang in that hymn, that we would see Jesus Christ, our salvation in the flesh, face to face. O oh Lord, we pray that you would please come soon. We pray that you would return, that we may be with you in the flesh. And God, we also pray that you would, in this time of waiting for your return, that you would be with your church, that you would build her up, strengthen her, Unite her, purify her. And Lord, we pray that you would do so through the men's meetup at Elam Village as they gather again. We pray that you would strengthen these men through your word and spirit, that they may be united together in faith and in the bond of peace and in the bond of the Holy Spirit, which fills them. And Lord, we pray that you would be with your church here in Sardis 
in this upcoming year that you would also bless her. That you would work through her to save those who are lost, to be a light, a beacon of hope pointing to the one salvation in Jesus Christ. That many may be brought in before your return, that you would gather your elect. And God, we also, at this time of New Year's Eve, we also think of the, the worldliness that can often happen at New Year's parties. And Lord, we pray that you would guard your people from drunkenness and sin. And we pray that you would also restrain those in the world, that they too would not be given over to such sin, that they would not also drive and endanger others, but that, Lord, you would keep peace in our town here, that you would spare lives, so that they would have the opportunity to respond to the gospel. And, Lord, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. We now have an opportunity to give our thanks once again by giving to the Ministry of Mercy.
been a pleasure being able to serve you these last three weeks. I thank you very much for allowing me to do that. And uh, this is my final farewell. Benediction from the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.